Welcome to another episode of Bridging the Gap, where issues of the day meets a biblical perspective. My name is Ryan. I am your host. And on today's episode, we're going to be tackling um, essentially predestination, the, the concept of predestination or uh, determinism, if you've maybe you've heard it that way, versus free will. Okay. Determinism or predestination versus free will. Um, I'll take a moment to define uh, what free what predestination or determinism determinism is, uh, because it's going to help drive, you know, why we're discussing this topic at all. So essentially, determinism is the doctrine that all events, including human action, are ultimately determined by determined by causes external to the will. Okay. So doctrine that all events, including human action, are ultimately determined by causes external to the will. Free will is obviously the opposite of that, which would be the power of acting without the constraint of necessity or fate. Okay, um, which brings me to another definition, which is like determinism. It's called fatalism. Um, so essentially, with fatalism, like determinism, it says there's a this it's um, that events are essentially predetermined, but they're they're not really driven by anything. They're not intentional. Like there's nothing really behind it. Like whatever happens is going to happen. As you've heard people probably say, what will be, will be. And it's not really much you or I could do about it. It is what it is. <laughs> um, and then predestination, however, is, it is different in the sense that it's more of a divine foreordaining. Okay. It's more of a divine foreordaining. So meaning that when you say divine, we're talking about God. It's more of a biblical concept, saying that God does have a hand in all the events that have happened past, uh, present, and future. That God has a hand in these things, and God is intentional about the things that take place, okay, from the origin of man to the meaning of life to ultimately our, our destiny, okay? And that there's, there's purpose behind all of that, all right? Um, this is the issue that people have when we discuss uh, predestination versus free will is essentially that a lot of philosophers and just people in general have taken determinism or predestination to imply that individuals have no free will and because they don't have free will they cannot be held morally responsible for their actions okay so it's 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 almost as if it's a philosophical anomaly as well as a biblical one, because I know that people even within the church have kind of struggled with the idea of, well, if God, I mean, I've even heard people say like, well, if God's going to do what he's going to do, like, why would I pray? You know, like, why do I pray if God's will is ultimately going to be done anyways? Even, they'll even use scripture, they'll throw scripture into it. You know, I heard somebody say, um, you know, the, the, the scripture that talks about how the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf when we don't know what we ought to pray. Um, you know, with moaning, with groanings that we don't understand, but because the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf, we don't know what to pray. That means that God's will is always coming to pass. So like, what's the point of me praying or what's the point of me doing anything? Uh, so even within the church, it's been kind of a struggle to understand. So I think the idea with this discussion is to, is how do we reconcile the two? How do we reconcile the concept of predestination and free will? Okay, because they are both, both predestination is scriptural, but so is free will. So that's what we'll be talking about today. Um, I do have some guests on, uh, one of my favorite couples ever. <laughs> um, some friends of mine, my brother and my sister in the faith, 
Cornell and Lou Swain. How are you guys? Pretty good. Great. <laughs> Sounded like a forced. <laughs> y'all good? I, I'm good. I don't know what's going on with him. <laughs> uh, we're good. Amen. Amen. Um, so I just want to hear from you guys really quick. Just some like um maybe some quick thoughts. I don't know what your experience has been um either discussing or even just hearing from people uh when it comes to this topic. But um Lou, you can go first, but um do you believe I guess the question is, do you believe in predestination as well as free will? And then Cornell, you can answer after that. You said, what was the question? Do I believe in it? Are you subscribed to predestination as well as free will? Well, yeah, I think that they um, go hand in hand. I, I think that they're harmonious in the sense that if we, if we look at when, before God created the world, he had perfect harmony with himself, the Holy Spirit, and Christ Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. All in one. They had made plans together. They had, you know, affirmed things together. And then he created the world knowing what he would have already had done. So when he creates the world, he creates a person named Adam. The design for han- mankind or for humans that was what in the Latin predestination kind of means to make firm beforehand. And so what he was making beforehand, what he's making firm beforehand is his destiny or his destination for us, which was always to be with him. Mm. So he predestined us always to be with him. That was always his plan. That's his plan now. But before we were created, he even thought about sending Jesus even before we were created so that we could always have an opportunity to be with him. So I don't see that they're two separate things. We have where God created us and made a plan that we'd be with him forever. That's our predestination. That's what we were destined to do, be with Christ. When man decided by free will, because God gave it to us to sin, and now of course it enters to all mankind, we still have the desire or will to go in a certain direction, either away from God or to God. And so it's our, he gives us this free will because we're not robots. Love is not forced or dictated it's a mutual relationship that two people enter into and you have to be willing to enter into a love relationship or it's not mutual. And so I think that while he has predestined us to be with him forever, we have the choice to be with him. We have the choice to love him. We have the choice to be obedient. We have the choice to do the things that he's called us to do. And so that's why I don't see them as two separate things. If we take the perspective that that's his design pre his design was for us to be with him forever and then we have a choice as to whether we want to be with him then it all makes sense like it all flows together pretty harmonious harmonious so that's kind of my general perspective of both of them fitting together very nicely in the world that god has created for us okay uh cornell your thoughts uh my thoughts on it um you know there was a uh a theologian, uh, I think it's uh, R.C. Sproul. And one of the things that he said is that, you know, it's people make this, people have debated this for centuries and they make it so, so hard, but he's like, it's so easy. And I'm like, well, it doesn't seem that easy, <laughs> but, but it is right. And one of the things that he said is that um, one of the things that God is, God is a being just like as humans, we're beings, but God is a supreme being 
And yet while we have free will, we're not autonomous. <clears throat> so making the point that our, our will, you know, is still under the Supreme being, you know, so, so, so God is all knowing point I'm making on that is as far as the free will how the free will looks and most people when they look at free will they think that they're completely free like they're autonomous but you're not autonomous you're still connected under you know uh, and, and let me rephrase that how I look at this and we look at Genesis you know she talks about Adam but in Genesis one of my favorite topics of how this lays out for me to help me understand it is in Genesis 15 uh, Genesis 17 and then of course you know, uh, the story of Joseph. But when you look at <clears throat> when uh, Yahweh comes to uh, Mo, uh, Abraham, he basically tells him, you know, I'll make your father, you know, many nations. Hey, let's go ahead and make this sacrifice so that I can go ahead and make this covenant with you. And then he begins to share with him that, you know, um, I'm a sin, you know, this land right here is going to be yours. And I'm a sin, your people that I'm going to give you. He, right now, he has no kids. So he's telling him this plan of everything that he's going to do, what he's already predestined, that all of these things are going to happen. But one of the things that I love about this whole whole thing is when he says, but it's basically it's going to be over 400 years, but yet the Amorite sins have not yet reached me yet. Meaning that he's predestined all of this, but yet there's a free will in it. And that free will is talking about the Amorites and the Canaanites that their sins haven't come to a, 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 a match yet to where he's still giving them time. You know, that free will part of it to where, you know, uh, even though he has his ultimate predestined plan of what he wants and, and there's still freedom in our choices. You know, there's still freedom and 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 decision making, and he's already figured, even already figured that out. Does that make sense? Or was that was that rambling? She's shaking her head now. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to jump in until I remember what Ryan said at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, what would you add to that, Lou, <laughs> or exchange? <laughs> well, I you know I think she, that she always I, likes trying to be my corrector. So well, it's not. I, 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 I'll just let her speak. So first, Ryan, it, it's not a correction <laughs> or an addition. I just, I, I, I found myself a little lost <laughs> because I think that the idea of predestination or making something firm beforehand is that I want you to be with me. So regardless if it was Abraham or Moses or David or anybody else, the reason why he was saving the remnant, why he was waiting for their sins to be full, why he had them in bondage for 400 years, he had to bring out a room. He still had to get that root of Jesse. He had to get to where Jesus came so that people could be with him. The ultimate goal of us living here and Christ coming and having even been created was to have sweet fellowship and communion with Christ. Anything that looks like predestination, it literally points to the cross and salvation because he's drawing us. Even when he talks about he says, nobody comes to me unless I draw them. So he's saying, I'm still in the business of doing what I initially wanted done, the pre, what I predestined you guys to do. I want you close to me, I want you with me. But we still have the free will, as much as God tugs at our heart, to say, no thanks God, I like the world better. 
And so the reason why I was getting a little confused is I think that all throughout Bible, the Bible, everything that God teaches us about himself is that he wants to be with us. He's jealous for our time and our love and our affection. And that's what always comes up when you talk about what we were predestined to do, love him and be with him forever. So everything else points towards the cross and then the cross points back to Christ from the beginning, right? In the form of God before he created the world. And so that's what I think I... I, I sometimes get lost in the discussions of free will versus um, predestination because of that element that it looks like, like even in Romans, he says, for those that he had called and predestined. And it's like, he, he's called, he's predestined us all, but you have all, you have to have on the right garments in order to be at the party, at the, at the feast, right? You right. can't just come in any kind of way. And so he can't call you to stay. He can't choose you to stay. You have to leave. And he says, where there's outside, where there's gnashing of teeth and all that kind of stuff. So again, I still think that the, the greatest thing that God did when he started creation was give us a loving message that he wants to be with us. And that's how he firmly established something or firmly decided something beforehand. This is what I want. This is what I intend to have. You have free will to accept it or you could reject it. But, but, ref- but that's uh, that's the reason why I was a little confused because I just, I don't understand. So what I'm saying is, are, are you saying that in, in what you just said, are you saying that since the beginning of time, God basically has given every, predestined everyone to be with him? That is the point of creation. So if you answer that question, why did God create us? That answers the question of what he predestined us to do or be with him and like him to have an intimate fellowship with them. So if you answer that question, what did he create us to do? That's the initial goal. When you build something or you create something, whatever it is, you have a purpose for it. This is what I created initially for. This is what I pre-designed it to do or be. Now, that thing can be manipulated over time, but the reason why it was created is what you've established in your own heart. And that's what I think God has done. The reason why he, is, he created us is established in his own heart before he even formed Adam out of the dust. So that's the question I have for you. If that isn't the answer, then the question of why did he create us is left blown in the wind. So, it's, so and, and Ryan, we'll jump back to you, but you know, the, what I'm getting at there <clears throat> is that when, when you look at it from that perspective, the, the, the scriptures where he says, you know, uh, uh, Jacob I love, Esau I hate it. Meaning like even in the womb before Esau was even born, I hate it and I already predestined quote unquote him to not be with me. And so that's where the, the struggle comes in whenever you're talking about predestination and free will and how they flow together harmoniously and, and kind of like what, what you were just sharing is that we have free will as you say not to choose him but in the predestined God already knows many times who are not going to choose him so are they really predestined? Or knowledge and predestination are two different things. That tension kind of comes in at right there. So predestination and foreknowledge are two different things. Yes, I know exactly what our son Josiah is going to do before he does it because I know him so well. It doesn't mean that I want him to do the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. I just know him so well, I already know. Well, yeah, that's that's the reason why I use that scripture to kind of say that's kind of the way that I understand it. And then if you use the scripture scripture. about somebody God hating and someone God loving or someone God Mm -hmm. choosing and someone he's created for destruction, then it leaves out what he said about, I wish that none would perish. Now, where is God in that? That's another question you have to answer yourself. If you're saying that you're not going to start from the beginning about why he created us, but you're going to start where he says, Esau have I 
uh, hated and Jacob have I loved, then you're starting past the place well, where he initially created. The reason us. I started past because you already covered all of that. So right, I, was I covered just, it. You covered correctly. that. I, covered, <laughs> I believe I covered so, that correctly. So <laughs> I didn't need to add that. See why I love you guys? I didn't need to add that. Why, why am I going to say the same thing you saying? Well, it sounds like you're saying. But then they can like, have you on here. <laughs> there's a pop. But yeah. go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Well, well I, okay. So I did want to go further with um, you know, the point that Cornell had brought up regarding predestination. So like if, because I've heard also people say that well, if God already knows, and I'll connect this with the, the point that you made, Lou, if God already knows what I'm going to do before I do it, um, people do have a hard time, you know, uh, defining that as still free will not number one and then number two I think when you combine that with the point that you made about uh, what Christ says that uh, you know nobody comes to the father unless I draw him right and it's like okay well why can't why can't why doesn't God draw everyone in the same way or does he draw everyone in the same way and if if that's not the case does it, it almost makes him look like unjust, right? So I say that to say, to kind of segue into another part of the discussion. So I'm gonna talk about the elect. Okay, I know you guys have seen that that um, that word used in scripture. So in, um, or, or you said the call, that's kind of one, that's kind of, it's almost interchangeable. Like I've seen both called and the elect used when it pertains to God's people in scripture. But it almost seems as if like, when you use that word elect, it's like, okay, these are my chosen people right these are my chosen people and this is like 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 god chose to draw one person um and perhaps not another um or at least it seems that way in the mind of the unbeliever how, uh, how do you guys speak to um kind of the distinction between the two and and how a, a lot of people have a hard time reconciling those differences cornell you can go first well um <clears throat> the way i look at it uh, is that you know, when you look at, when he talks about the potter and he talks about the clay, right? You know, who are you to say what you're used for, right? So ultimately, you know, God has created us for his purpose and he's created some for, you know, vessels of honor and some for vessels of destruction, right? Some, some vessels that ultimately, you know, sounds bad, but are pawns in, in, in his will, right? <clears throat> so, you know, uh, from looking at it from that perspective, it makes it more of a, a great joy to know that you are part of the elect, that he did, you know, adopt you, that he did, quote unquote, predestine you to be one of the elect, um, you know, because you could not be one of, you know, quote unquote, the elect, right? You could be, you know, uh, a Pharaoh. But when we look at that, you know, you look at the scripture, you know, talking about, you know, uh, Pharaoh, right? <clears throat> it constantly said that Pharaoh's heart was hardened. All through the uh, beginning of Exodus, it said his heart was hard, and his heart was hard, and his heart was hard, and his heart was hard. And then, and then it says God hardened his heart. Right. So making the point that God already knew that he wasn't going to choose him. He already knew that his, he was going to do what he wanted to do, no matter how many signs, no matter how many roadmaps, no matter how many times he warned him, his heart was so wicked that he wasn't going to choose him. And so, you know, when I look at it, you know, like that, then you, you see what a great honor is like, yeah, like he chose me, like, you know, he knew that I was going to, 
when that when the, the, the invitation of the banquet feast came out that that I was going to do everything I could to be there right so yeah so having said that though <clears throat> like how do we and how do we distinguish between the person who has the hardened heart like God knows like okay you're not going to choose me so I'm going to harden your heart even more and you can kind of liken that to uh, what it talks about in the book of Romans when it says that he gave them over to a reprobate mind right like the, yeah. the desires the sinful desires that they want he's like okay this is what you want I'll give you more of it boom there you go okay mm -hmm. um but like how come some people end up in that condition versus an individual you know people like us who, you know, our hearts were hardened at one point. Like we were living in sin at one point. We didn't have Christ. We needed salvation as well. Um, and, 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 and what Lou said earlier, when it says like, no one comes to the problem unless I draw them. Like what's, I mean, I know you're saying like, like we made the choice, but it's like, how come it seemed like the, the God's grace is, is always sufficient, right? And it says like the, um, as sin abounds, so does grace, right? Mm -hmm. But God's grace could not capture the heart of this person, but it captured, our hearts it's like how do we how do we reconcile those two because it's still I, I feel like people will still look at this or hear this and they'll feel like and, and we're called the elect <laughs> to add on mm -hmm. it and it'll it'll appear that you know that it transpired unfairly like god's grace worked for one person but it didn't work for another if that makes sense so so to answer your initial question does god call us all the same or differently and why and this and the other he says very clearly in loving kindness have I drawn you and he doesn't do anything different to anybody everybody he draws he draws with that same loving kindness that he experienced on the cross <clears throat> knowing that they were eternally damned unless they accepted him he drew them with love everything he did was saturated in the love that he has for us so no one is exempt from the love of Christ as far as the drawing there's no one he's not drawing because he said that if I be lifted up, then I will draw all men unto myself. He's drawing people unto himself by the love he demonstrated on the cross. So to answer your question, he draws us all the same. Another question you're supposing is that when God draws us, that the grace automatically is the element that changes them. But the grace is really the element that enables them to change. Yeah. So you can reject the grace of God and say, I don't want to hear it. It's too tough for me. It's too hard. It's too strenuous. I don't believe it. My mind can't wrap itself around it. So therefore you tugging, I hear you tugging. I feel you tugging. I see you're tugging me all around, but I cannot accept that you are this tyrannical God that killed women or children or caused wars. I cannot fathom a God that responded this way when someone touched the poor Ark of the Covenant. I cannot wrap my mind around who you are, therefore I have to reject you. The grace of God is still there because they're still thinking about it. They're thinking about a God they don't believe in. That's why a lot of even atheists struggle to keep people from believing in somebody that doesn't exist. If I don't think something exists, UFOs, I don't even talk about it. <laughs> talk about UFOs. There's no such thing as UFOs. Right? I'm not going to go to school and get a degree to prove to you there's no UFOs. The more I talk about it, the more of a reality is for my life. Mm -hmm. The grace of God is not just this overwhelming, uh, dictating type, manipulative type of wooing God does right. to make us do the right thing. 
but it is the ability to do the right thing, to choose him. And that's why we need the grace of God in order to even have the faith of God, that he will soften our hearts, but we still have the choice. There's lots of things all of us have gone through where we experience the grace of God to get us out of any situation, right? We talked about temptation. There's no temptation that you, you can't escape from, right? Because the grace of God is there to give you the wisdom or the, the, the out or whatever it is, but you have to take it. There's lots of times all of us know that we've been given the grace in any situation and sometimes we do not take advantage of it. And so I think that when people decide that why did grace work for this person and not for me, they're misunderstanding grace because the grace of God, if we understand what God did in grace by dying on the cross, it should sadden our hearts. It should propel us towards him and try to understand what he's what he's doing and what he's saying as far as we're concerned. And then the elect, it's almost like, and this is the only way I can kind of picture it. When a when a parent when parents have kids, let's just say they have five and they know they're about to die, they have to choose one that they think will be able to manage when they leave. Right now, I know back in the day they had the oldest one or whatever else, but now they have to look at each child and their abilities and what they could accomplish and what they would be, you know, um, I don't know, sensitive to or whatever the case is, you know, if somebody's going to die or whatever and say, this person will do the best job. Not that the rest of them can't and I don't love them any different, but the abilities I see in this person and the skills and the talents they have will be better demonstrated as a leader for our family than one who's just helping along in the process. I don't see that any different than a pastor teaching and leading his flock, just like the shepherds, you know? And so a pastor, what's so different about the pastor than the, than the people who were following, believing that his words are leading him them towards Christ. And so I don't see the elect as someone God loves more, but he looks at his children and says, who would best fit this? Moses, you did. I know you killed somebody. I know you're in disbelief right now. I know you're making excuses. No, you now I'm frustrated with you. <laughs> right. And now I'm frustrated with you, but I need you to do this because you are the one I chose. You're the one who's going to be able to see this through. And he was. Now he missed going to the promised land, but God's, God's <clears throat> people have talents and skills he's given them. And all of us don't meet the same criteria for leadership as we do as for helpers. Right. So in that case, I'm not sad about being elect or not being like, I just want to be one of his children. And if that's not good enough for somebody, they need to rethink their perspective about God's family. Because we all have the ability to lead and guide and be the chosen ones in a sense without having that title or privilege of being called this. What I need to be called is a saint of God and a child of God. And that's what's important to me that I live in his family and I do what he asked me to do. Mm. You know? Yeah. Um, and just a quick scripture that kind of speaks to that. It's in Second Timothy uh, chapter 2 and uh, verse 24 it says, the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach patient uh, when wronged with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. And then after that it says, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil having been held captive by him to do his will so this kind of speaks to the fact that in in 
even reinforced by what Jesus said in the Gospels. Apart from him, I would not choose him. Apart from his grace, I would not choose him. In and of myself, it was up, it was up to me. However you want to slice it, I would not choose him. It's and I like what you said when it talks about or when you talked about um, the grace enabling us, not necessarily just taking over. Like that's not how God works. <laughs> like God doesn't possess us, you know, like a like the devil might, um, and you know, a vessel, but it enables us to do the right thing, enables us to make the right choice. So uh, good stuff. Uh, Cornell, do you want to add anything to that? No, no, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Um, For the sake of time. <laughs> no, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, no, I was like, I was like, no, we got still got still got time. I haven't got <laughs> Zoom work. <laughs> I'm about to cut you off, but I think what you said earlier. Yeah. So, uh, maybe they put that into effect because I haven't seen anything yet. I don't know how how long we've actually been on here, but uh, it it doesn't really matter. <laughs> um, so no, if you, if you have if you had something to say, you totally could. No, no, I, I was just messing. Keep oh. going. Um. So yeah, I think <clears throat> pretty much covered. Uh, because I mean, all the elements that kind of fit into this topic, you talk about like, you know, uh, predestination and what that means and um, grace and how that fits into, um, how that fits into the equation. And the fact that people still do make a choice, like I even pull up another scripture. So this is in the book of Proverbs. It's Proverbs chapter one, um, starting at verse 28. And this just reinforces the idea that people do have the ability to choose. Okay. Um, Proverbs 1 28. So it reads, and they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose. I repeat, choose the fear of the Lord. They would not accept my counsel. They spurned all my reproof. So they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be satiated with their own devices. That literally sounds like, <laughs> I mean, that's a perfect description of a person who um, encountered God in some way and rejected him, made a literal choice to reject him. Um, and not not because they uh, didn't receive him, but they chose not to. He says, that, you know, it says that they wouldn't accept my counsel. They spurned all my reproof. You know, they didn't choose to to fear me. Like they had, you know, every opportunity and every uh, tool, <laughs> for lack of better words, available to them to choose me. And they still chose not to do so. Um, and, and to kind of reiterate, you know, we were saying earlier, God at the same time knew that they would do that. And I think that's what, what people have a hard time uh, reconciling. It's like, okay, well, God just knows what I'm going to do. And I'm like, well, why do I do anything? It's like, well, it's like, I know it's very possible that God can know what is going to happen and still allow it to happen. It, it, it's not like he forced you um, because it's not like him knowing what happened forced you to either do something or not do something. You don't really know what's going to happen. You don't know what you're going to wake up and do, you know, every single day, what you're going to say, like, God knows these things. Um, but we still are choosing. I mean, in the same way that you choose to ignore him, 
you know, speaking to like an unbeliever, the same way you choose to ignore him, the same way you choose to fight against him and, and make posts and stuff, you know, um, in support of agnosticism and atheism and just abolishing religion altogether. And like, these are all choices that you are making. Um, and I like what you said about <laughs> how, like, I wouldn't be talking about something I wouldn't make such a, I wouldn't make something such a reality in my life if it wasn't actually real. Like I don't I don't like I said I don't be online all day debating people about whether or not you know Santa Claus exists or <laughs> well, you know anything that is like it's like why like why are we talking about this like <laughs> it's it's it doesn't it's not relevant it doesn't affect me in any kind of way it might have affected me when I was five you know or, or, or younger but it's not really relevant but the fact that you feel the need to have discourse about this all the time means that not only is it relevant to you but that you are it's almost like part of you is choosing to suppress that truth that you know is there um i don't know how long we've been on here for but uh we can we can wrap it up i just don't know if you guys had any final thoughts you wanted to add yeah you know i think that um one of the posts i saw was i read the bible five times front and back Oh yeah. <laughs> I always find that so fascinating. Yeah. Because reading something doesn't necessarily mean belief or hope or uh, reconciliation with it, right? And that was obvious, right? It's, it's obvious. I read it five times. I have an, an aunt who's an atheist and says, I've read the Bible before, I don't believe in that. I've read it all. You read from Genesis to Revelation? Yeah, really. First, I don't believe it. Second of all, even if I did, then there's something that was missing. Even if I did. <laughs> Even if I did believe that nonsense, it clearly shows that something was missing in the process of reading it. it and, and, and I think that that is like a cover-up for suppressing the truth, right? I've read it and I don't understand it and it contradicts itself and this wasn't a reality and this isn't a reality. And, and like what you said, if you look closer and you're able to really digest and, and piece apart the text, and really do your due diligence, you see that it's all harmonious. It, it works together, it flows together. It's like a beautiful tapestry. It's not an eye for an eye. He says later, I said to you before, and now I say to you, the grace <clears throat> that he's giving us, it magnifies the law. And so he's seeing into our hearts instead of just monitoring, if I can use that word, our actions because our actions come from our heart. And so reading the Bible over and over, and saying you understand the grace of God, but it just doesn't work for you, then that shows me that there's something missing. There's um, a choking weed. There's something that um, you're doing that is suppressing the truth of God because the truth of God proves toward freedom and peace and reconnection with him. And so that's what, um, it really gets me. And just like a friend of ours, like we had said about reading the Bible, he said the more he read, the more he fell in love with God. He wanted to cheat God, he wanted to use God to make himself wealthy. And as he read the Bible, he realized he was in love with this Jesus. So um, we can't use that as excuses that we don't understand something so we suppress it because we're held accountable. And the more we talk about God or Jesus to denounce him, I feel, I feel like more of a punishment, more of a, you know what I mean? Like you spent your whole life talking about me and still you rejected me. And so you reject me before men then I reject you before my father. And they'll find out the sad truth, which some people will because they say, I'd rather go to hell than serve 
a God like that? Well, indeed you will, unfortunately. But the price he paid for your soul, it amounts to nothing to you. And so that's a, a true sign of suppression, you know, suppressing the truth. So no matter how much grace we're being shown or given, you suppress the truth, it's not going to matter to you. You know, and, and you're, real fast, you're saying for uh, um, the time, we still got time to keep going? Yeah, just want to check that. Okay, so so yeah, when, when you're talking about grace, just my, my, my last rap, because that's what you were talking about. <clears throat> you know, a lot of times, you know, I think ultimately we all love God's grace, right? Even the sinner, the non-believer, we all love God's grace, right? You know, you, you look at, I think it's um, Luke 17, uh, talks about the lepers. <clears throat> and, you know, he healed 10 and only one came back, right? You know, and so those other nine, they weren't upset about God's grace. <laughs> you know, they, you know they, they weren't like, you know, why did you heal me? You know, they, they, they didn't, you know, they basically, you know what? I'm going to take what you've given me and I'm going to go do my own thing. Right, and but that's not really the grace of God. That's the mercy. Right, so, he took him out of a condition when he could have left him there, so he was justified in his mercy. So the grace healing, is, right? is, is the that grace is the ability the, after the healing mm -hmm. to attach to him, to follow him, giving them the willingness to see who he was. But people still reject that, and that's the right. that's the but point. The point that I'm making, yeah, the point I'm making that people still reject that. They, you know, the one came back, the other ten. You know, what, what, what made them different than, I'm, I'm making the fact of the difference. You know, you have the one who was drawn, who did keep coming, who did want to pursue, right? Then you had the other nine who were like, nah, you know, you know, to where that, that invitation was still there and, and, and they walked away from it. Right. Like, you know, like they, the they walked away from it. Bethesda, he was yeah. told on Jesus after the fact. <clears throat> they and walked he away from it. to be healed. He just... Yeah, they, they walked away from to do what they want to do. So, so, so my point of, of showing that distinction is to basically say, you know, we talk about, you know, you're talking about grace and how people read the Bible, and you know, I read the Bible once, you know, or five times, <clears throat> but there's still something in their heart that says that I want to do what I want to do, you know. Um, so therefore, I'm not, even though your grace is is tugging and pulling and calling, you know, I'm gonna throw my hand up because I'm a, I want to do what I want to do, you know? And I, I think, you know, that's where that distinction is, and, you know, because you're saying that God's grace is, pulls and leads us into salvation, but many people, they want, they want God's mercy. And, and many times they, they want that, that grace, but then they cut it off because well, they want to do what they want to do. At the end of the day, when we think about the initial question of what did God create us for? <clears throat> that should tell you what you are destined to do or be, mm -hmm. which is in an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. And then the free will comes in where you follow the heartbeat of Christ wherever he goes. And that's the free will that we have to decide to follow or not. Mm -hmm. So do you guys think that it's a, because a word you used earlier, um, Cornell, was autonomy. Mm -hmm. Autonomy, just basically defined, is the right or condition of self-government um now obviously <laughs> you, you know autonomy is, is only is only practiced to a degree you know like if i go out and you know i have the autonomy to go and 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 commit murder you know but 
authorities are going to come after me. Like, I can't just live my life <laughs> the way I want to after killing somebody. I just took a life. Like, and there's a price that has to be paid uh, with that. Um, and I think that, so I think part of it is also how people define free will and how they define autonomy. <clears throat> um, I mean, I was, I was, um, uh, I had read something the other day um, and this was like a friend of mine and they were talking about uh, religion and, and, or Christianity in particular, because, you know, they were talking to me and how it, it it's like it infringes upon, you know, uh, people's lifestyles, right? Like, like I want to be able to live the way I want to live, even if they're not breaking the law per se, like they're, you know, law abiding as citizens, but why do I have to live according to, you know, your sense of, of, of morality and in, and they almost feel like that's stripping them of their of their autonomy or of their free will. Um, how do you guys speak to that? Because like you said, there's never really <clears throat> any an autonomy. Unless you live on an island by yourself, everything you do can infect some, affect someone else. So whether it's just words you say and you don't hurt anybody, whether you hurt somebody, whether you cheat on your wife or lie about something, everything you do affects someone else. There's nothing you can do really alone. I mean, you have to literally be on an island or in your house and stay on quarantine until Jesus comes back, right? There's really not a lot you can do. And so saying that, you know, I just want to do what I want to do. I don't want to be governed. I don't want to be, but you are governed. Even if it's not by what we find that Jesus speaks as true, you're being governed by your own truth about what is right and what is wrong. There's something that gives you some kind of moral standard for life. It's okay to lie if it's just a little lie. But lying is being untruthful. It's okay to cheat if it's just emotional, but I didn't physically cheat. You know, it's okay to kill somebody if they come in your house. I mean, where does your standard begin and where does it end? Mm -hmm. If it's your family member, do you extend more grace? If it's somebody who killed your family member, is there less grace? You know, and so their standards change all the time, but God's don't. And that's how we know that we're not governed by our emotions, or triggers from our past or other people that we can stay with the same moral standards and guidelines that Jesus Christ himself lived. I mean, even one time when the, the guard hit him, he didn't just say, oh, here's the other cheek. He said, wait a minute, if I've said something wrong, tell the people what it is. Otherwise, why did you hit me? Mm -hmm. And so even in the sense that we think we're being governed by ourselves and what our own moral standard or ethical standard is, we're still being governed by something and that's everyday changing, you know? So why not be consistent with something that is truthful and loving and, and all around, you know, better for your life than to have something that's fluctuating and floating in the river like a leaf and you don't know where it's going or how it's going to get there based off your emotions or other people or situations in life. It just, seems like you have a rougher time trying to hang on to those things and it to, to hold on to Christ's unchanging hand. It just, I don't know. You know, one thing is, I think in, in the natural, we're all scared to die. The, more so the unbeliever, right? You know, all all scared to die. They don't want to die. So therefore they, they do all these different things so that they don't die because they want to hold on to their life. And I think that many uh, non-believers and even some believers they bring that same natural thought into um, quote unquote the new birth is that 
they don't want to die to themselves. They don't want to lose their life. And so they want to do what they want to do. They, they want their freedom. And they think that that's them holding them. Their autonomy is holding on to their life to be able to control. But yet they believe that in being a believer, now I will lose my life. But to the believer, the, tr the true believer, to lose your life is a great thing because now you become a new creation. Now the Holy Spirit dwells in you. And now you you have have that to, to lead you to where you can, quote unquote, keep the law, as they say, or you, you can pursue after God, right? Because the Spirit is the one who's drawing. The Spirit is the one leaving. And I always share with people, you know, a lot of people that I talk to, my life is more fun, more exciting. You know, uh, I'm everything that I always, quote unquote, feared that I wouldn't be able to do as a Christian has been completely debunked. You know, so, you know, that, you know, it's, that whole part of it, you know, uh, that autonomy is that, you you know, just like the, you know, you have to look at it to be able to say, hey, you know, there's something that is greater. And if, and if, and if, if the scriptures say this, or if someone else's life, he's done it for someone else then he can do that in me. I don't have to be afraid to take on his will. I don't have to be afraid to, to walk into this new life. So I think that's one of the main things is, is that they hold on to it, you know, uh, and they don't want to die to themselves. So therefore they get stuck in that place. All right. Amen. Um, well, I think that was a good way to kind of bring the whole topic full circle. Um, and and how all those all those different elements grace and choice and predestination and and god's elect uh, how it all fits together and how it is all cohesive uh so yeah i appreciate all the thoughts you guys shared and contributed to the episode um i love you i miss y'all i just wanted y'all to know that and i wanted my listeners to know we love you too <laughs> um but we're gonna go ahead and wrap it up that is another episode in the books for bridging the gap if you liked what you heard please do subscribe um you can find um this podcast on all the major platforms anchor uh um apple Podcasts, spotify um trying to get on iHeartRadio, but <laughs> stay tuned anyways uh please join us next time god bless